Well, here we are. Who who thought we'd get this far? Week number 10 of Doctrine. We've been talking uh, ever since the beginning of the year about this, and we've been, uh, you may wonder why I keep reiterating that every week, is because some people in the future will jump in in the middle of these things, or if somebody's new or listening by TV or whatever, it puts it into context. We've been talking about Doctrine. We started out talking about the Bible. For, we spent four weeks talking about uh, how did we get our Bible, why, do, why is the Bible important, how do we know it's God's Word, why is it the basis. The, the bottom line, the reason the, the Bible is so important and understanding that it's the, the Word of God and that it's, it's our revelation of God is because that's where we get to know these things about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, and everything else that we're going to learn. It is the basis. It is the... It is the, the very foundation of what we're learning. And so we had to know that that was solid. Then we spent a month in February talking about uh, God. Who is God? Talking about that God exists. We talked about that, that God is, um, is three parts, a trinity. We talked about a number of things about God, and now we're, we're talking specifically about Jesus Christ, one of the members of the trinity. Last week we talked about Jesus in the Old Testament. How we see Jesus appearing through the Old Testament. Jesus is God. I took specifically two weeks, the Trinity and last week, to highlight and emphasize the divinity of Jesus Christ. That is important. Why? Because in the world today, that is the number one attack. Well, Jesus existed. Okay, we have historical fact that Jesus existed, but he was just a guy. He was just a man. Now, he did some amazing things and said some amazing things and and led people down a right path of of, of goodness and wholesomeness and charity and all these kind of things, but he was just a guy. No, he was the God of all the universe. We talked about who he was as a part of the Trinity, that he always existed with God, and he'll always exist in eternity. Last week we talked about that he, is, he was there in the beginning. It was through him, he was the one who created everything that we see. Colossians says that. This week, though, I want to take the other side, the humanness of Jesus Christ. Because, as we've been studying in our Colossians course and in Galatians last, uh, the last time, in our Wednesday night course, that there's been attacks throughout history that, yes, Jesus was God, and that he came in a form, but he was a spirit form. Because the Gnostics believe that flesh was evil, which it is. So if flesh is evil, then God couldn't come in the flesh because God who is holy couldn't come in a human form, a flesh form, then he would be corrupted. Now, the thing was, the Gnostics were wrong. Jesus did come. He is God, and he did come in a human flesh form. And it's absolutely vital that he did. And that's what we want to talk about today, is the scriptural evidence for why, or that Jesus did come in the flesh, and also why, why it's so important. So, the humanity of Christ, beginning with the virgin birth. Now, anybody who, who came into Christianity other than 
as a child. I, I mean, I was born into the church. My folks took, were taking me to church when I was in the, the baby carrier. I don't know if I was in a baby carrier. Did they do that 50 years ago? Yeah. They just dragged me along to church. I'm not sure exactly what happened. But I was there. I know I was there. My folks went every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. My, they, we were always in church. And so... I heard this stuff from the beginning. So when, you know, when we talk about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, it doesn't even, doesn't even I don't trip on anything. It's just, it's just what it is. But if you came into Christianity later in life, how many of you, when you heard the virgin birth, you're thinking, <laughs> right, that's just weird. Why? Why, is, why would God do this? Why would this be so important? Scripture clearly asserts that Jesus was conceived in the womb of his mother Mary by a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit and without a human father. Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Jesus, or to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being just a man and unwilling, or being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for what, or for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So, then we read that Joseph did as the angel commanded him to do. He did it. Back in those days, if a woman was found pregnant outside of wedlock, she was killed. They stoned her. Joseph was a just man. He knew what the penalty was. He knew that it was wrong. What, he was, what they were experiencing in the natural would be wrong. Because he knew he hadn't been with her. But... Because the angel came and said, don't do this. He said, that, the child that's in Mary was born, is conceived by the Holy Spirit. This is God's plan. Marry her anyway. And because he was a righteous man, because he was a good man, he did it. He, he followed the leading of the Lord. Matthew chapter 1, verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So, what is the doctrinal importance of a virgin birth? Why is this so important? There's three areas. It shows that salvation ultimately must come from the Lord. Just as God had promised that the seed of the woman in Genesis chapter 3.15 would ultimately destroy the serpent, so God brought it about in his own power, not through mere human effort. If it was natural, if it happened naturally, you could, you could argue it away. Well, he was just another guy. He just happened to be a guy. But this is, some, this is a claim beyond nature. It's a claim beyond the natural, supernatural. That Jesus was, his birth, his existence on the earth is a supernatural thing. It didn't happen the natural way, okay? So that's the first part. Well, this is, that's why this is important, is it changes 
the, the natural order of things. So it wasn't through a human's uh, will or the desire of a human. It was through the desire of the Holy Ghost fulfilling his will. The virgin birth of Christ is an unmistakable reminder that salvation can never come through human effort, but must be the work of God himself. Number two, the virgin birth made possible the unity of full deity and full humanity in one person. This is what it means, this is what, this is, what is meant God used to send his son into the world as a man. He Jesus had to be fully God and fully man. The only way to do that was for God to be involved in the conception. Otherwise, if Adam had been the father, the real, actual, biological father, it would have not had anything to do with God. His divinity wouldn't have been passed on to Jesus. Okay? Joseph. Did I say Adam? <laughs> Joseph. All right. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And Galatians 4.4 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So if we think for a moment of other possible ways in which Jesus could have come to the earth, none of them would have been so clearly unite humanity and deity in one person. It probably would have been possible for God to create Jesus in a complete human being uh, in heaven and send him to or, and have him descend to earth or from heaven to earth without the benefit of a human parent. But then it would have been very hard for us to see how Jesus could be fully human as we are. Nor would, we be, nor would he be a part of the human race that physically descended from Adam. Remember that when God did uh, say to the serpent that the seed, her seed would come, it had to descend through human beings. The answer, the, the Messiah, the the. the uh, fulfillment of that prophecy had to be human fully human but also it had to be god jesus had to be fully god number three the virgin birth also makes possible christ's true humanity without inherited sin this is vital absolutely vital in a very short form and i'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because when we talk about sin in a couple of months, we're going to deal with this more fully. The importance of Christ being without sin. Every human being born on this earth, every day, every year, from, the, from Adam until us, has been born into sin, with a sin nature. How many of you had to teach your children to do wrong? Did your parents have to teach you to do wrong? No, you were good at it for just on your own, weren't you? <laughs> Expert from his parents. <laughs> no, we just, it is in human beings to be 
sinful, to, to do sin. You know, they talk about, is it nature or nurture? It's nature. It comes. Now, nurture enhances it. The, the world around us, think, you know, we get to learn even more evil ways to do things if we so desire. But it's born in us. Every child who's born on the earth is immediately on birth destined to destruction. That's horrible. That's a horrible thought. It's only through the grace of God, what Jesus Christ did on the cross, that changed it. The deal is, though, Jesus had to be different. Jesus had to not be born into that sin, and because he did not have a father. And here's where I'm going to stop with the explanation, because I need to study it more to be able to say it absolutely correctly. But bottom line, because he did not have a human father, the sin nature was not passed down to Jesus. So, women, whenever you've thought it's, his, it's, it's the father's fault, you're probably right. <laughs> and the guys are thinking, great, thank you so much for giving them, infra- giving them ammunition. All human beings have inherited legal guilt and a corrupt moral nature first from their very first father, Adam. This is sometimes called inherited sin or original sin. But the fact that Jesus did not have a human father means that the line of descent from Adam is partially interrupted. Jesus did not descend from Adam in exactly the same way in which every other human being has descended from Adam. This helps us understand why the legal guilt and moral corruption that belongs to all other human beings does not belong to Christ. Human weakness. This is how Jesus was fully human. He had human weaknesses. Now that's when you start thinking about him being fully God, but then having human weaknesses. But we see it all the way through the New Testament, all the way through the Gospels, that Jesus had moments of human weakness and limitations. He had a human body. The fact that Jesus had a human body, just like our human bodies, is seen in many passages of scripture. He was born just like all other human babies are born. He grew through childhood to adulthood just like every other child has grown. He increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He grew up just like every other child does. He got tired just as we do. He became thirsty. And you see behind all your notes There are the verses, you can look those up on your own, and I encourage you to do so. He hungered. He at times was physically weak. The culmination of Jesus' limitations in terms of his human body was seen when he actually physically died on the cross. His human body ceased to have life in it and ceased to function just as ours will when we die. But at the same time, or After his resurrection, his human body was also supernatural. Jesus also rose from the dead in a physical human body. Though one that was made perfect and was no longer subject to weakness, disease, or death. When he rose from the dead, it it was spiritual, yes, but he also had a physical body. Remember, he talked to his disciples. He said, feel, touch me. Feel the flesh. Feel the bones. 
I'm real. He ate food. He drank, I believe, wine. He, he was a human being even after he rose from the dead. And he'll always have a human body. Hmm. Interesting. But he also walked through walls and did some other really cool things. That's going to be fun. I don't know about you guys, but that whole, that whole super or that spiritual physical body thing is going to be a blast. <laughs> he demonstrated repeatedly to his disciples that he does have a real physical body. In the same way, the human body, through his resurrection body, Jesus also ascended into heaven. It was his physical body that rose on the day that he left earth. When, he was, when they were outside of, I believe, Jerusalem, and he rose up to, uh, with the angels, and the disciples were all watching. About 500 people were watching as that happened. That was a physical, his physical body. And the way in which Jesus ascended to heaven was calculated to demonstrate the continuity between his existence in a physical body here on earth and his continuing existence in that body in heaven. So, he also had a human mind. Luke chapter 2, verse 52 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He thought like a human. This is important that he thought like a human. I've, had, I've been asked this many times over the years, and especially now that we're doing doctrine. Uh, we had a great conversation at Bulls yesterday. I mean, a great conversation. That's probably one of the best discussions we've ever had at Bulls. And it's because this stuff has been, has been stirring up thoughts, stirring up questions. And, and we were talking about all kinds of different things. But one of the things uh, that we were talking about was, did, was Jesus born knowing that he was God? In that baby, was he fully aware of who he was? And the answer is, you have to look, figure it out yourself. <laughs> the fact that Jesus increased in wisdom says that he went through a learning process just as all other children do. He learned how to eat, how to talk, how to read and write, how to be obedient to his parents. Where'd my daughter go? She missed that one. She'll have to watch the video. Hebrews 5.8 says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. The ordinary process, learning process was part of the genuine humanity of Christ. Yes, yet... If Jesus never sinned, how could he learn obedience? Because the Bible does say that he was without sin. He was tempted in every way, but he was without sin. Did he have to be spanked as a child? <laughs> no child wishes for anyone to ever have to be spanked. Did Jesus have to be spanked? I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. Because it doesn't say whether he was or wasn't. You know, I, I always kind of imagine that Jesus was perfect. You know, he never sinned, so he never did anything wrong to get spanked. But I don't know. I mean, have you ever spanked your kids for the wrong reasons? 
<laughs> no, never. <laughs> I love people. People are just awesome. Apparently, as Jesus grew toward maturity, he, he like all other human children, were able, was able to take on more and more responsibility. The older he became, the more demands his father and mother, mother would place on him in terms of obedience, and the more difficult the task that his heavenly father would assign to him to carry out in the strength of his human nature. Jesus' human mor- moral ability... His ability to obey under more and more difficult circumstances increased. Yet, in all of this, he never sinned. Hebrews 4.15 says, But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The fact that he faced temptation means that he had a genuine human nature that could be tempted, but Scripture clearly tells us that for God cannot be tempted with evil. Here's, the, here's a, a possible conundrum. We're actually going to spend some time on this in just a little bit. I don't want to answer this question yet, but I want to at least place it out there for you to think about. You notice I don't give you all the answers? There's a reason for that. We need to be searching this stuff on our own. We need to be digging into this stuff. We need to be having questions and then not waiting to get to small group or waiting till you find somebody who you think is smarter than you or you know, talking to me, which is not smarter than you, but you think you know, may possibly. This is the kind of stuff we dig out ourselves. Where's the, where's the verses? Where's the scriptures? Where can I find this, these things? We need to answer these questions for ourselves. We need to know the answers and we need to be settled on them completely. So we're going to talk about whether Jesus could really be tempted. Because James 1.13 says, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Interesting. But we also see that Jesus had a human mind like ours when he speaks of the day of which he uh, will return. Mark 13.32 says, but concerning that day or hour, because the disciples that asked him, when are you coming back? When are these things going to happen? Jesus says, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. There were things on earth Jesus didn't know. That stretches you, doesn't it? Because wasn't he fully God? Yes. But, apparently, and, and this is the best way I can explain it, in the, way, in the way, best way that I can understand it, is there were some things that he limited himself to understand. So that he lived his life just like we do. Did he have absolute knowledge of who he was? I do not believe so. I believe he learned who he was the same way we learn who we are in God, and that's through the Word of God. By reading the Word of God, by searching it out, by seeking it, Jesus would, would be reading along or he'd be, hear it being taught from in the synagogue and all of a sudden he'd go, huh, I was born in Bethlehem. Huh, my parents said that my mother was a virgin when, when I was conceived. Huh, I'm, I'm of the line of David. Hmm, that, that looks like me. That sounds like me. He learned who he was and then became convinced of it even to the point, like one of the gentlemen said yesterday during, during bulls, at the 
age of 12, he was sitting in front of the, the teachers of the law and he was asking them questions when his parents came and said, what are you doing here? He said, don't you know I'm to be about my father's business? He knew who he was by the age of 12. Children can know who they are in God. 12 years old is not too young. I don't even believe 5 years old is too young. When I, when I accepted Lord, the, the Lord the, uh, with my mom that day, I was 4 years old, and I know, I, I understood it as much then as I do now. I understood what I was doing at 4 years old. Now, I was exceptionally bright. So that, it may be different for everybody. And humble. I was, I mean, I've always been exceptionally humble. But I remember what was happening at four years old. It, it, was not, it was not lost on me. So, Jesus had a human soul and human emotions. Just before his cru- crucifixion, Jesus said uh, in John chapter 12, verse 27, Now is my soul troubled. John writes a little later, In 1321, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified. In both verses, the word troubled uh, represents the Greek word terasso, a word that is often used when people are anxious or suddenly very surprised with danger. Moreover, before Jesus' crucifixion, as he realized the suffering he would face, he said, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. So Jesus had a full range of human emotions. He marveled at the faith of the centurion. He wept at the sorrow of the death of Lazarus. And he prayed with a heart full of emotion. He was an emotional being. He was moved by things that were around him. He was made anxious. Isn't that interesting? The God of all the universe in human form, when looking at death, probably felt the exact same way that any any of us will feel looking at death, the moment of death. And we'll talk about that in a second. That's strangely comforting. That he experienced everything that we'll ever experience and yet was without sin. He never doubted. He never never held back from fulfilling God's will completely. He didn't let his emotions rule him. He allowed the faith in God to be his guiding light, his his driving force, his will to, to obey his Father completely overruled his humanness. And we'll talk about that a lot when we get to who we are as human beings in a month or so. Because we take on his nature at salvation. And he gives us the ability to live our lives like he lived it. We can't do it in our own ability, in our, our own humanness. But in his supernatural, godlike humanness, we can overcome. Amen? Amen. People near Jesus saw him as only a man. So people around him only recognized him as a human being. Matthew 24, or I'm sorry, Matthew 4:23 says, "And he went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people." So his fame spread throughout all Syria. 
And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with the various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptic, epileptic, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. But then when he came to his own village in Nazareth, something else happened. Matthew 13, 53. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his own hometown, he taught them in their synagogue. So they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are and are not all his sisters with us? He had a big family. Do you know that Jesus had a big family? It says it right here. Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and in his household. And he did not do many mighty miracles or many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So this, this scripture right here shows that when he got around the people that knew him, that knew him from birth, through his growing up, all of that time, when they heard what he was doing, they're like, Who in the world do you think you are? You know, aren't you Joseph's son? You know, we know who you are. You know, you used to play in my backyard. You used to walk over my flowers in my backyard. Well, I don't know, is it a sin to walk on flowers? That was his brother's. <laughs> you know, that would be like Ron standing up one day and saying, just to let you know, guys, no, I'm God. And we'd all go, no, he's just Ron. <laughs> we know Ron. He's a... He's, he's just Ron, you know, or, or he's just Larry, or he's just, we know each other, we know, you know, we've seen each other for so long, to all of a sudden come out and, 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 and have these teachings, these claims, these miraculous works, it's like, who in the world do you think you are? The people who knew him didn't think, didn't, didn't have this overwhelming sense that he was God. Where's the, where's the reverb on that one? God. God. Perfect. We need to have a sign that when I'm ready, to, when I need the reverb, we'll, we could, we could, I could say when I need reverb, I'll say like the word vibrate or something like that. You know, just that'll cause it to do that. There, see, perfect. All right. Where was I? <laughs> a good man, no doubt, fair and kind and truthful, but certainly not a prophet of God who could work. work miracles and heal people for the first 30 years of his life jesus lived a human life that was so ordinary that the people of nazareth who knew him best were amazed that he could teach with authority and work miracles so now have you ever seen any of the tv shows where they say the the lost years of jesus christ the childhood years when he was healing birds and, and practicing walking on water on the pond behind his parents' house. No, he was just a kid. He was just a guy. He was just the guy next door who, who, who fixed your wagon when it needed to be fixed. He was just a regular person. Now he was a good person. Guarantee it. He was a kind. He was a loving person because he, he had no sin nature. He loved people. He had compassion. But he didn't do anything 
supernatural until after he was filled with the Holy Spirit and everything changed. But he, everybody who knew him was unimpressed necessarily, not, not unimpressed, but unaware of his divinity. The one that always gets me when I think about it are his brothers and sisters. Just think if Jesus was one of your brothers and sisters. Would you think they're God? Absolutely not. But could you imagine Mary saying, why why can't you guys be more like Jesus? Do you think that he was the favorite brother of uh, all the kids? You know, Jesus, come on, just do something wrong once, ever. Remember when, when Jesus was actually ministering around and he, went, he was back at home and everybody was going to the, going to the festival and his brothers were, were teasing him, weren't they? If you read that script, I don't know where it's at because it's not in my notes. John somewhere. And they said, you know, anybody who wants a public ministry should really just, just tell us the truth. Just, just go ahead and declare who you are. Just, just let us know. Make yourself public. And Jesus said, it's not my time. Well, why were they saying that? Because they, they were getting, you know, they were starting to think, wait a second, there's something going on. He's doing miracles. He's, you know, he's, he might be a prophet. He might be, all, but, but he's my brother. Come on. I mean, my brother will never, as far as I'm concerned, be able to walk on water. He just won't. They won't. Because they're human. He was not, in those first 33 years, or first 30 years, was not overtly divine. So, was Jesus fully human? He was so fully human that even those who lived and worked with him for 30 years, even those brothers who grew up in his own household, did not realize that he was anything more than another very good human being. They had apparently no idea that he was God come in the flesh. Let's take this one step further. Your brother who grew up with you your whole life, how freaky would it be when you found out he really was God? (laughs) Everything you ever did or said, it's just like, dude! I'm really, really sorry, big brother. You know, I'm just, yeah. So, in all of this humanity, though, he's still sinless. Some have, has, some have objected that if Jesus did not sin, then he was not fully human. For all humans sin. But those who are making that objection simply fail to realize that human beings are now in an abnormal state. The way we are is not the way we were supposed to be. When Adam and Eve were created, they were created perfect. They were created without a sin nature. What happened after that is abnormal. This is not the way it's supposed to be. How we struggle, how we sin, how we fail is not what was intended. That was not God's plan. His plan was Jesus Christ. How Jesus lived his life. So, Jesus was actually more fully human than even we are. Because he was made the way God originally intended him. 
God did not create us sinful, but holy and righteous, Adam and Eve anyway. Adam and Eve in the garden before they sinned were truly human. And we now, though human, do not match the pattern that God intends for all of us to one day fully be. Sinless humanity is restored at the cross. Jesus always obeyed his Father, John 8, 28. At the end of his life, Jesus could say in John 15, 10, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. It is significant that when Jesus was put on trial before Pilate, in spite of the accusations that the Jews made, Pilate could conclude that he, that he said, I find no guilt in him. When Paul speaks of Jesus coming to live as a man, he is careful to say that he took on sinful flesh. Or that he, uh, not to say that he took on sinful flesh, but rather says what Romans 8, 3 says, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. And he refers to Jesus in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then there's a whole bunch of references to Jesus' sinlessness. I encourage you to look those up. So now we get back to the question, could Jesus have sinned? That's a very good question. It's actually a very important question. Because if Jesus couldn't have sinned, then the temptations wouldn't have been real. But we know that the temptations were real. Because it says he was tempted in every way, yet did not sin. Okay? Was it possible for Christ to have sinned? Some people argue for the impeccability of Christ, in which the word impeccable means not able to sin. Were the temptations then real? Many theologians have pointed out that only he who successfully resists temptation to the end most fully feels the force of that temptation. So it was with Jesus. Every temptation he faced, he faced all the way through and triumphed over it. The temptations were real, even though he did not give in to them. In fact, they were the most real because he didn't give in to them. What then do we say about the fact that God cannot be tempted with evil? It seems that this is one of a number of things that we must affirm to be true of Jesus' divine nature, but not true of his human nature. His divine nature could not be tempted with evil, but his human nature could be tempted and was clearly tempted, yet without sin. He never gave into it, ever. So, why was Jesus' humanity necessary? When John wrote his first epistle, a heretical teaching was circulating in the church to the effect that Jesus was not a man. We talked about that earlier. This heresy became known as asceticism. So serious was this denial of the truth about Christ that John could say it was a doctrine of the Antichrist. The Apostle John understood that to deny Jesus' true humanity 
was to deny something at the very heart of Christianity. So that no one who denied Jesus had come, or so that no one who denied that Jesus had come in the flesh was sent from God. As we look through the New Testament, we see several reasons why Jesus had to be fully man. It was if he was going to be the Messiah and earn our salvation. We can list seven of these, and I'm going to list them very quickly. I want you to go through and read these and study these on your own and talk about them in your small groups. He was a representative of obedience. He was obedient even unto death. And he shows us how to be obedient. He shows us how to live our lives and not sin. He was a sacrifice, a substitutionary sacrifice. He had to come in the flesh because it was the flesh that had sinned back at Adam. Adam was, or that Adam was the, the first man who had sinned. The Bible says that Jesus was the second Adam who did not sin. And it was his flesh that was worthy all of the, the scriptures, I think we even, we, I know we sang about it this morning. You are the lamb who is worthy to be slain. He was the only one who ever lived his life sinless. He was the only one who could give a, a sacrifice in his flesh that was acceptable for the forgiveness of all sin in humanity. He is to be the mediator between God and man. We were alienated from God by sin. Through Jesus Christ, because of how he lived his life, we are brought back into relationship with God. To fulfill God's original purpose for man to rule over creation. Jesus lived in such a way to show us this is what was supposed to happen to Adam and Eve. Remember when Jesus was in the boat and they all thought they were going to drown? They woke him up and said, what's going on here? And he, he says, you guys, your faith, come on, let's go. We're not going to die here. And he stood up and said, peace be still. And nature stilled. What did they say? They said, who is this guy that even the winds and the waves obey his voice? When God created Adam and Eve, he gave them dominion over the earth. That is the way we're supposed to live our life. The way Jesus lived his life. He had control, he had dominion over the earth. Even to the point where he could walk out on water in the summer and not sink. We don't get it yet, do we? We don't get it yet. We're not there yet, but praise God, we're at least aware of it. And I want to get there. That'd be really, really cool. To be an example and pattern in life. We just said that. To be the pattern of our redeemed bodies. Paul tells us that Jesus rose from the dead and he rose in a new body that in 1 Corinthians 15 through uh, 15, 42 through 44, so it is, so is it with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body, it is raised in a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there also is a spiritual body. 
The new resurrection body that Jesus had when he rose from the dead is the pattern for what our bodies will be like when we are raised from the dead. Glory to God. 1 Corinthians 15.23 But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.49 Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Jesus had to be raised as a man in order to be the firstborn from the dead. Colossians 1.18 And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, in that in everything he might be preeminent. Another reason why he had to come in the flesh. He had to sympathize with us. He had to experience everything we were going to experience and everything we do experience so that when he deals with us, he gets it. Now, could he have gotten it anyway? Yeah, he's God. He got it before it all began. He got it. He understood. But we needed to know that he could sympathize. It wasn't for his benefit, it's for our benefit. Praise God. Did, did he lose a parent? I think he did. We don't hear about Joseph after the beginning. We don't know specifically, but he's never, never mentioned again. Did he ha suffer loss? Yeah, Lazarus died. One of his best friends died. Was he, was he, uh, ex could he, did he experience the, the, the fear, the possibility of fear. Yeah, when, the, when he knew his death was coming, it was so bad he was sweating blood. Did he experience rejection? I'm sure he did. Yeah, we know who your mother is, the Pharisees said. Did he, you know, ridicule. I mean, just everything that a human being experiences, he experienced, including temptation. The next time you're going through temptation, for whatever it is, whatever that thing is that Satan's trying to push your button on, you can call out to Jesus and say, hey, I know you've been through this, help me. And, and we know that he experienced that same pressure, that same, that same uh, overwhelming sense of, I can't do this. Let's give, I'm going to give in to it. No, Jesus said, you can make it through. You don't have to give in to this. Follow me, he says. He, is, he can sympathize with our humanity. Praise God for that. And Jesus will be a man forever. This one is just really interesting to me. Interesting. He, he was raised with a perfect body. I mean, this perfect body could walk through walls. This perfect body could do everything that our human bodies could do and more. It could just lift off of earth and, you know, go into heaven. But he was still, when he resurrected, when he came back to life, what did he keep? The scars. I don't get that. That's interesting to me. I don't have any scriptures that give me the reason why that is. I still think it's cool. The very marks, the, the very reasons why we have life everlasting will be with him forever. Wow. We'll see him. We will see the marks. Praise God. Moreover, 
Jesus will continue in his offices as prophet, priest, and king, all of them carried out by virtue of the fact that he is now, or he is both God and man forever. And in two weeks, we're going to talk about those offices. When Jesus was on the earth and now, he operated in the prophet, the priest, and the king, the offices of those three. All of these texts indicate that Jesus did not temporarily become a man, but that his divine nature was permanently united in his human nature. And he lives forever, not just as the eternal Son of God, the, true, the second person of the Trinity, but also as Jesus, the man who was born of Mary, and as Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of his people. Jesus will remain fully God and fully man, yet one person forever. Praise the Lord.